And so if you go ahead and grab out your notes booklet, we'll jump into our study of Jesus. So real quick before we get started, I just want to open our time in prayer. And my, my hope for us in this class is not that we would just learn some cool facts about, about Jesus, but that as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, we would uh, love him more, first of all, knowing what he's done for us in um, being born as a man and uh, giving up his life on the cross for us, um, but also that as we understand things about him, that we would begin to have a fuller understanding of the blessings that we have through our union with him. And so uh, the book of John, a lot of it is about how we're brought into the fellowship of the Godhead through our union with Christ. And we now have communion and relationship with God the Father. And through Jesus, we now have his spirit living in us. We have God's presence with us. And so different things like that as we, as we study, the hope is that we're just not increasing our knowledge for, for that sake alone, but that we're worshiping Christ as he truly is, as revealed in scripture. And as we grow in our knowledge of him, we begin to increase in how that changes our lives because we're united to Jesus. And so that changes everything because it's no longer just us. We are uh, united to Jesus and have uh, so many blessings through that unity with him. So I just want to take a moment and and pray for us as we get started, and then we'll, we'll jump in. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, was willing to uh, pay with his life on the cross. He was willing to die my death in my place for my sin and bear the wrath against my sin. And we know that we are unworthy of knowing you at all. And we thank you for loving us and sending Uh, Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we can not only know you, but that we can have a relationship with you, that we can be friends with you. And we pray that as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, that it would change the way we live, that we would understand what it means to be united to Jesus, and that we would see the blessings that we have in him and that we would rejoice and, and praise him and worship him Uh, for being the most amazing person ever, and that you would just impact on our hearts our great need for him, for salvation, but also for life, and that we would uh, walk with him by faith through this life. And so help us as we seek to understand your word and seek to understand who Jesus is, and that we would uh, worship you and glorify you for your work and uh, grow in our walk with Jesus. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so in this study, uh, we're going to be studying Jesus. And so I chose the title, uh, The Man from Heaven. So if you turn over to 1 Corinthians, uh, we're just going to kind of introduce where where we came up with our theme and the, the name for this class. So 1 Corinthians 15 is about the gospel. It's about what Jesus has done. Paul says, I want to clarify to you the gospel. And he walks through how Jesus died according to the scriptures, um, was buried, and rose again according to the, to the scriptures. And how people saw him alive, and then he walks through uh, the resurrection, and then the hope of our glorious body that we'll have when we're resurrected like Jesus. 
And down in verse, we'll start in verse 46, he's talking about um, our natural bodies and then the spiritual body that we'll receive. So in verse 46 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward the spiritual. The first man, talking about Adam, was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so from, from these verses, talking about Jesus, who is the Lord from heaven, um, some of your translations might say the man from heaven, uh, it's talking about Jesus' natures. And I love that because Jesus is completely unique. He is not like any other person who's lived, and no other person like him will ever come again. Jesus is alone uh, the man from heaven. Okay, so we'll, we'll look at that more as we dive into our lesson today. But that's kind of where we uh, gathered our title for the class. What does it mean that Jesus is the man from heaven? What does that mean theologically? What does that mean for our lives? What does that mean as we seek to worship God? Uh, and then a few other verses that we'll look at uh, real quick, quickly are in John. So let's go to John chapter 3. And these, again, are talking about how Jesus came from above or from heaven. So in John 3, verse 31, John writes, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So again, we have that idea of the one who comes from above is above all. He is to be worshipped above all. He is supreme. And so this leads our hearts to see Jesus as the man from heaven. And our first response should be to worship him. He came from above, so he is above all. And so this is one of the main postures that we should have as we approach our study to, uh, of Christology, of Jesus, is Jesus is above all. And so we should Submit to him, we should worship him, and we should love him. And then again in John uh, chapter 6, we'll look at verse 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And so that's kind of the other posture we want to have. We want, first of all, we want to worship Jesus. But then we want to come to him for our lives, for our sustaining power, like we would eat supper to uh, have energy for, for the night, or we would take a drink of water because we're thirsty. We come to Jesus because we're, we need spiritual food. We need spiritual water, and he is the one that feeds us. And so we, we worship Jesus, and we also come to him um, for our spiritual sustenance. So, as we delve into the study, we're quickly going to discover that there's a lot I don't know, and that's okay. <laughs> we're all growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. And so, I encourage you, as we go through this study, ask questions as they come to mind, 
or if you have a question during the week about uh, something connected to uh, who Jesus is, uh, write it down and bring it and ask in our class, and we'd love to, to think further about um, who Jesus is and uh, to stretch our understanding in ways we haven't thought about before. So Jesus knows all. He knows all things, and I do not. So if I don't know the answer, that's okay. Maybe someone in here does, and we can work together on this and have fun with it as well. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Feel free to raise your hand at any point and and ask if you have thoughts or questions um, related to what we're studying. So we're going to jump in, and the, the thing we have to understand about God's work is it doesn't always make sense to us. So take the virgin birth, for instance. Uh, that's something that uh, we have a brief explanation of in Scripture. It's what we're studying Sunday, actually. It's, it's going to be fun. But it's something that you either take by faith or you don't. There, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, how does that even work, right? And, uh, and it's something that you have to believe that God is supernaturally working uh, for you to, to, to believe it and accept it. And so there's lots of things that we might study that don't necessarily make complete sense to us. And that doesn't mean it's not true. It just means that God works um, supernaturally in ways that we don't always understand. And so if anything, it's a, it's a reason why we should say, thank you, Lord, for, for being more wise than me. Thank you for having a better plan than my plan. Because without the virgin birth, there's no uh, sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't count for us if Jesus dies just as God. He doesn't die in our place as a human. And so God has a perfect plan, and we might not understand all the details of it, but we can still uh, believe what it says, even if it doesn't always make complete sense to us. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and think through together um, about Jesus' natures, Okay. And to think through this, we need to understand that Jesus is one person with two natures, okay? And so we're going to look at that together. And some have said that this question is the fundamental question to Christology. If you get this question wrong, then all of your understanding of Jesus will be tainted by uh, that wrong first turn. And so we want to make sure that we have a good understanding of who Jesus is uh, before we uh, go too far in our study of Jesus. And so in your notes there, you see um, listed there, without ceasing to be divine, Jesus became a human being. Jesus is one person who possesses two natures, human and divine, that are welded together without confusion, change, division, or separation. And so that's hard to digest at first, thinking about Jesus as one person but has two natures. And so we'll look later at some different views of people who would say that he wasn't really a human or he wasn't really divine. And when you start confusing things or removing parts of who Jesus is, you actually become a heretic. <laughs> and so we're just we're going to be careful with this and... Uh, let Scripture guide our thinking on who Jesus is. And so if you grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1, uh, we'll just, uh, we're, we're familiar with John chapter 1, 
and we'll just look at uh, several things in the chapter together. So John chapter 1, what I want you to notice is uh, that Jesus is God, and Jesus is also man, and that God, there's not multiple gods, there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they existed for forever in eternity past. And they were completely content, just the three of them. And they didn't, they didn't need anything else. They, they had each other, and they loved each other, and they fellowshiped with each other, and communed, and enjoyed being with each other. And then they decided to make man, and eventually decided to send one of the persons of the Godhead to die on the cross for the sins of the people, and that was Jesus. And so only Jesus died on the cross. The Father didn't die on the cross. The Spirit didn't die on the cross. And so as we, as we look at this, we need to understand that there's, there's three persons, one God, and the second person of the Trinity is Jesus, and he is one person that has a divine nature and chooses to take on a human nature as well. So that's what we're going to look in John 1 and understand from those verses. So starting in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So right off the bat there, John doesn't pull any punches. He jumps right in. And he says, In the beginning was the Word. And so there's no explanation of who the Word is. John just starts saying stuff that doesn't make any sense out of context. And we're familiar with these verses, so we kind of understand. But it's not till verse um, 17, I believe, until it mentions Jesus' name, that he's the word. And so as the reader, the, you know, if we were to read this for the first time tonight, having never read it before, there would be this tension of, who is the word? Who is this God? Who is the light of the world that John came to testify about? Who is this one that if I believe in his name, then I am a child of God? Who is this one that... Uh, brings me to God and lets me behold his glory because he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so there's this dramatic tension in the text that we don't see anymore because we're familiar with it. And so as we look at this, uh, you know, Genesis starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then here again, John says, in the beginning was the word. So one of my professors, he, he would make the point, uh, he, would, he would ask, which beginning? What, what beginning is, is uh, John talking about here in John 1.1? 1, 1? Anybody have any ideas? The. the? The beginning? It's Yeah, it's true. That's what it says. So it's kind of a, a trick question. It's any beginning because Jesus is eternal. He's eternal. And so you can pick any beginning and Jesus was there. He's always been there. So you can pick the beginning of time, uh, creation, Jesus was there. You can pick the beginning of this morning, Jesus was there. And so uh, it doesn't matter which beginning you pick in the end. I think he's probably talking about creation and the beginning of of time as we know it. Um, But Jesus already existed. Jesus is eternal. And then the second phrase there, and the word was with God. And so that word uh, with there is the Greek word pros, which means towards. 
okay? And so, did I say that right? Towards. It's hard to say without any other words around it. Like towards, like I'm looking towards Charlie. And that's the, that's the sense of this here is that in the beginning, the word was there and he was towards God. And so the picture we have here in these simple couple words is that Jesus was looking at God. They were looking at each other. And this is the, the posture of the Trinity, is that they just enjoyed uh, the glory that they shared together. They enjoy, enjoyed each other's uh, personhood, their personalities. Um, and so it's weird for us to think about because we get bored talking to people after like 30 seconds. But forever, God existed enjoying himself. The three persons enjoying each other. And uh, it's just, it's a picture of perfect, unadulterated, sinless fellowship that existed in the Trinity. And this becomes important for us to think about, first of all, because we are now united to one of the, the persons of the Trinity. We're now united to Jesus, which means that we now have the Spirit in us, and we now have fellowship with God. And so we've been brought into the fellowship of the Trinity. We don't become gods, but we get to partake of fellowship with God. And that's super cool. <laughs> and that's one of the benefits that, that comes from being united to Jesus. Uh, I had another benefit. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it sharpens in our mind how big of a deal it was for Jesus to leave heaven. For Jesus to depart from that perfect fellowship that he enjoyed with God and be born as a baby to die for our sins. That's a big deal. And it it becomes a bigger deal uh, when Jesus gets to the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus has never, from eternity past to eternity future, has been out of fellowship with his Father. And there on the cross, God forsakes him because of our sin. God looks away from him. They've they've been looking at each other forever. And there Jesus is bearing the weight of our sin, and God turns away from him. And Jesus cries out uh, in Matthew, it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can just hear the gut-wrenching torture that it it is for Jesus uh, to have that fellowship broken with his Father and to be forsaken by his Father. And it helps us in our our hurts, too, that, that we're never truly alone because Jesus was alone for us. He was forsaken so that I will never be forsaken. And the amount of, of pain that he went through, you know, we often think, we, we, we think through the hardship that, that Jesus went through physically to go to the cross and pay for our sins, you know, to be... Um, tortured physically and uh, emotionally to be mocked and blasphemed and all these things. You know, we, we often focus on that and how painful it was to have the nails driven through his hands and feet and the crown of thorns on his head and being stabbed in the side and hanging from the cross, all these things. But that's not what Jesus cries out about on the cross. He cries out about the, the forgiving of the, the people around him for not knowing what they're doing 
and the pain of being forsaken by his father. And that's what weighed upon Jesus on the cross, was his broken fellowship uh, with his father. And so that's just a powerful, powerful thing that Jesus was willing to go through so that we can now have fellowship with God uh, through his sacrifice. So what do we learn so far? Jesus is eternal. Uh, he was in the beginning. He was already there. Um, and Jesus was with God. And so at first that leads us to think that Jesus and God are two different people. But then in the next phrase it says, and the word was God. And so this is where our brains start hurting because it's like, wait, I thought, I thought he was with God. How is, how is the word also God? And what we, what we learn here in a full examination of, of scripture and things is that we worship one God who is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so we've already learned from these three phrases that Jesus is eternal. Jesus was with God um, forever, in eternity past, fellowshipping with him. And that Jesus is actually God. He actually possesses the divine nature. Okay, So this is who Jesus is from eternity. So Jesus hasn't always had a human nature. That is something that came later. He's always had the divine nature. And so we see that in in verse 1, and then we see the same idea repeated um, in a different way in verse 2. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. And so again, we we see that idea repeated that uh, in the beginning, he was already there, and he was towards God. He was fellowshipping with God. And so this helps us to build the foundation of who uh, Jesus is before his incarnation. And so that's just a fancy word that means before Jesus took on flesh. So if you know like Spanish, carne is meat or flesh. And so incarnation means when Jesus came in flesh. So we celebrate the incarnation at Christmas. It's It's a celebration of Jesus coming in his first coming. Okay, we're going to jump down to verse 14 now, because this is where John starts to discuss uh, when Jesus took on the human flesh. So verse 14 of John 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so in these verses, um, we still don't know who the word is, if we're reading this for the first time. You know, we know it because we, we know the story. But it says, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is where we get into the incarnation. So Jesus did not set aside his divinity to become a man. He, he didn't um, stop becoming God or he didn't lose part of his godness. He, uh, he kept that and then he added uh, a human nature to his divine nature. And because of that, he was able to dwell among us, and we were able to see his glory. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so, uh, you know, glory is repeated there, and we're able to see uh, the glory of God through the person of Jesus. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing that Jesus was willing 
to leave the fellowship of heaven, uh, to be born as a human, and take on flesh in order to die for us. And because of that, we're able to see God's glory in Jesus uh, through his divinity. We want to be careful we don't divide him. Um, But we're also able to see what a perfect man looks like because Jesus was fully man. And so uh, Jesus is a picture of what we should eventually look like as someone uh, who has believed in God um, because Jesus is the perfect man. He, he never sinned, and he followed God perfectly and submitted to his will um, in everything. And so Hebrews talks about how, uh, in, in most translations, it says how Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. I like how, I believe it's the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, translates it. It says that he's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I think that's a better word for it. And so, you know, you can picture a, a pioneer. It's different than what we think of with an author. A pioneer is someone who goes first, who walks the path first to show the way, to, to make a map, to help us see where we're going. And so Jesus, uh, he didn't just author our faith. He, he pioneered it. He walked the path before us, and he perfected that faith. And so our job is now to look to him and say, how do I do that? How do I uh, model what Jesus did? And obviously, we're not, we're not the same as Jesus, but we have God's spirit, and he's perfecting in us Christ's character. And so we can, we can walk that same path, following in the footsteps of the pioneer of our faith. Uh, and so continuing on, God is, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So that's kind of our conclusion of uh, how, what is Jesus made up of? Who is he? What are his natures? He has two natures. He's fully God or perfectly God and perfectly man. And as soon as we start diminishing one or raising the other one above the other, we get into big trouble. And so to say that Jesus is fully God and fully man, there's a a theological term for it called the hypostatic union. And so if that's fun for you, you can write that down. And it's, it's fun to know. But it just means, hypostatic means personal, and union means together. And so it's talking about how in his person, there is unity between his uh, humanity and deity. And uh, if you go back up to that paragraph before, it summarizes it, it well. It says, Without ceasing to be divine, Jesus became a human being. Jesus is one person who possesses two natures, human and divine, that are welded together without confusion, change, division, or separation. And so that doesn't make sense to us. Uh, You know, we can't fathom what it means to combine deity and humanity. And so as soon as we start to, to make that stuff up on our own, you get like all sorts of weird mythology and like people have tried to to make this work before, and it's, it doesn't work, um, except through the power of God. So, does anyone have any questions on John 1, or Jesus being fully God or fully man? That was the, the really important stuff, so we're almost there. Um, we're going to kind of zoom through the rest here. So, next we're going to look at some historically wrong views of the nature of Jesus. So I'm just going to put these up there. They should be in the correct order for your blanks. 
I tried to make that work, because otherwise you'd be toast. But <laughs> uh, I'm just going to walk through them real quick. And these aren't super helpful other than to know that to divide the, divide the person of Jesus is a bad idea. He is one person with two natures, two perfect natures. So docetism, um, it actually means to seem. And so Jesus was divine, but not really human. He only seemed to have a human uh, body. And this comes from a Gnostic view of the world that uh, flesh, physical things are inherently evil. So we don't believe this. This is bad. Don't believe it. Uh, Dr. Paul refers to this as Casper the Friendly Ghost Doctrine. So Jesus was, was a ghost because he didn't have a body. But. Okay, next one is Apollinarianism. So Jesus was divine but not fully human. So they thought that uh, his mind must have been replaced by the divine mind, the Logos. And so they, they diminished uh, his humanity. They took away his human mind and said that he must have had a divine mind. Uh, The next one is Nestorianism. And so this view is that Jesus is two people. Uh, The human and divine natures in Jesus are like two persons living in his body, only united in agreement. So that's another wrong view. Don't believe that. Eutychianism. The human and divine natures in Jesus were blended together to form one new nature. So this is, uh, yeah, a bad idea. That's not, not true either. And then Jehovah's Witness. So they believe that Jesus is only human. So they think he's the first being that God created. And we just studied how uh, that can't be true of Jesus because he was already there in the beginning before anything. But also in verse 3 that we didn't get to in John chapter 1, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And so John right there says that Jesus could not have been made by God because everything was made through Jesus. Uh, The next one is the Mormon view of Jesus. So they embrace the humanity and divinity of Jesus just as they do all persons. So they believe that uh, we are all like Jesus and that we are all human and divine. We all have the potential to be a God. So don't believe that. It's a bad idea. Uh, liberal. So they believe that Jesus is only a good man who didn't exist before his birth. And so he, he, his life began uh, when he was born. And then I included Muslim there. Jesus is not divine. He was one of the prophets. And so you see that as soon as you uh, begin to toy with things, you end up in different uh, religions. <laughs> and so we, we need to believe that Jesus is Uh, Perfectly God and perfectly man. Uh, Your next blank there is Chalcedon, the Council of Chalcedon. So this this is nerdy stuff that I enjoy that that made the notes. So here we are. Um, This is the council where the church met to kind of counteract these heresies. So this is when the church gathered together and said, okay, there's a bunch of guys running around distorting uh, the natures of Jesus, let's get a, let's get a, it's a paragraph out there that, that tells who Jesus is, and that way uh, we have something to go off of. And so I'm not going to read that right now. Uh, it's pretty much summarized in that sentence we had earlier, but it's a fun paragraph to read 
because it was in uh, 451 AD. This was a long time ago. And as, you know, it's like, why, why didn't they have this figured out like 10 years after Jesus died on the cross? Like, why didn't they have this paragraph already written? And uh, theology develops over time. So it didn't all drop down in one unit. Uh, as It's actually as heretics arise, the need to clarify the truth arose. So that's why this happens in 451, is because there were heretics. So whenever a heretic stands up, the Orthodox have to stand up and say, that's wrong, this is true. So that's what this is. But we're not going to take the time to read it tonight. Uh, the, one of the last things we'll look at here is our application. So what? Why does it matter to me if Jesus is fully God and fully man? Like, that's cool. Jesus is a really cool guy, and I would agree. He's the most special person ever, and we should love him and worship him just because of that. But uh, his, his incarnation, his taking on a flesh, his being fully God and fully man, accomplished a lot for us. So let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. So in Hebrews chapter 1, the deity of Jesus and the supremacy of Jesus is really established. So we're not going to look as much at that because we, we kind of already know that from John. And so in, in the first couple of verses of chapter 1, it talks about uh, the amazing things about Jesus and then how he's above all the angels. And then we get into chapter 2, and it begins to talk about how Jesus was made lower than the angels and how he became like one of the brothers uh, to be able to sanctify them. And so we're going to jump in at verse 14, for sake of time, and read those verses real quick. It says, in it, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, likewise shared in the same. So Jesus has flesh and blood like us, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so what it's saying there is that Jesus became like one of us in flesh and blood. He took on our flesh and our blood. And through his death, the reason he did that, one of the reasons is that he might destroy the devil. That's what it says. So because Jesus took on flesh, died on the cross, the devil is destroyed. So that's, that's a great thing because on our own, we're stuck. We can't defeat the devil. But Jesus has defeated the devil because he is fully God and fully man and he died for us. And so the devil is destroyed. And then it goes on in verse 15, it says, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So not only has he destroyed the, the one who holds the power of death, but he's released those who were in bondage to the fear of death. So that's us. And we no longer have to fear death because Jesus died our death in our place. And now we are guaranteed to rise from the dead again. Uh-oh. And then we keep going in verse 16. It says, For indeed he does not give aid to the angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And so that word aid is going to be really important here in a minute. 
uh, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Okay, it doesn't say some things, it says all things. His brethren is talking about us. And so in all things, Jesus had to be made like us. He had to completely have our flesh. And we're, we're, we're wondering for what reason? Because that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So why did Jesus have to be just like us in our flesh? Why did he have to be fully God and fully man? It's because he, he needed uh, to be just like us so that he could be our high priest, so that he could be selected as an intercessor between us, between us and God. And then as well, that as the high priest, he could perform the propitiation, the wrath-removing sacrifice. And so Jesus is awesome because not only is he the high priest that performs the propitiation, but he's the propitiation. He is the sacrifice. And so Jesus is just amazing that he, he can do all that at the same time. You know, I can barely, you know, tie my shoes and hold a conversation. And Jesus, taking on my flesh, can make the sacrifice and be the sacrifice at the same time. And so these are things that, that we know theologically and we're thankful for spiritually. And we often reflect on that, like, yeah, I'm thankful that Jesus saved me. Um, but it should affect us in everyday life to realize that Jesus did that for us and it should help us to grow in our, our appreciation and worship of him. But then in verse 18, we see the, the right now uh, thing that he's doing for us. Okay, So remember, he, he's taken on our flesh and it says, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And so this, this is where we, we smile because Jesus suffered and was tempted like we are, and he did not fail. And so we'll look at this in chapter 4 next week. But what we need to see here is that in what Jesus has done, to the extent that he's suffered and to the extent that he's been tempted, he is able to help us in our suffering and temptation. And so... Uh, your next blank there, I made this up, so you can take it as you will, but the principle of solidarity, it's an excellent word, okay? So it's not just that Jesus gives us aid, it's that he's already walked the path and he knows what we're going through. He understands the suffering and the temptation and even the weight of sin, having taken and borne our sin on the cross and the pain of God's wrath. And so I'm going to read that paragraph for us. It says, The troubling journey you walk is not exclusive to you. Jesus walked the path himself. Jesus not only brings us aid in our sufferings and temptations, but even before he aids us, he is with us in our hardships. It will not feel like Jesus is present, but he is there and he understands. You must walk your troubling journey by faith in Jesus. And so this is where... Jesus being fully God and fully man comes to bear on our lives because we are a people that suffer because of sin and are tempted to sin. And Jesus experienced that just like we do. Yeah, he didn't sin, but he, he understood the pain of that, the pain of a world filled with sin, the pain of being sinned against. And so I listed there 
some of Jesus' sufferings and temptations. Okay? It wasn't hard to find where sin hurt in the life of Jesus. Okay? It's not his sin, but it's the sin around him and the sin of a fallen world. And so, listed there, uh, he suffered hunger. Uh, he was tempted to be controlled by his flesh in his interactions with the devil. And the devil said, you know, make this stone into bread. Uh, you know, how many of us, you know, you think of like dog training. And, you know, they wave a hot dog in front of a dog. And what dog isn't going to eat the hot dog? Well, a really well-trained one. But if I was a dog, I'd eat the hot dog, you know. Like, that's, that's how weak I am in my flesh. But Jesus, he, he stood up against the devil on the foundation of his knowledge of the word. And so along with that was lust and pride. Jesus suffered rejection. So all these things, as you read down through these, these are things that we experience and we feel alone in. And Jesus is the one who experienced it before us and walked this path before us. And he's not some doctor who uh, you know, has no idea what he's doing. He's a doctor who's, who's born the sickness before us. And he knows what it feels like to have that sickness upon his life. And he knows how to help you, but he also knows what it, what it feels like to suffer. Okay? And so we have a, a Lord who, because of being fully God and fully man, he can help us because he's God. He's able to help us. But because he's fully man, he understands what it feels like to suffer as a human in a sinful world. And so just a few more of those things. He suffered rejection. He suffered, suffered lack of thankfulness from those he helped. Uh, he was tempted uh, to be anxious or fear. He suffered sorrow, disrespect, trickery, plots of murder, betrayal of a friend. He was tempted to escape from what God had called him to do. He was uh, denied by a friend. He was mocked, beaten, blasphemed, shamed. He felt real aloneness. He experienced death. He suffered our sin, and he suffered God's wrath on our sin. And so all these things, you know, it's easy to think about God and be like, well, he's got it really good, up, you know, his life is really fine. Like, why does he worry about me? And like, sure, he'll help, I guess. But he's been through this. Jesus knows what it's like. And so he comes to us in our need, understanding what it feels like, but also ready to help us. And so that's my hope for us, is that as we, as we study tonight, and as we continue to study the doctrine of Jesus, that we will grow in our knowledge of Jesus, but also grow in our faith in him as we walk through this life. Okay? He didn't save us and say, good luck. You know, go become perfect. See ya. I'll see you in a few years when I bring you to heaven. He, he stays with us. He, he's given us his spirit. He aids us in our sufferings and temptations. So that's my encouragement to you is, is even if it doesn't feel like God is helping you, it's true that Jesus loves you and that he's there with you in the trial. You have not been forsaken and he's ready to help you. He's not stingy with, with his aid. He's not like, oh, I only have uh, two coins left. You need uh, one. Well, this guy needs five. And it's not like that. He's not bound by uh, limits. He's able to help us when we come to him. And he's, he's ready. He wants to help us. And so come to him and ask for his help. Uh, the last thing to mention here is I thought it'd be fun 
to mention a couple hymns that correlate with um, our study of Jesus. And so, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and in Christ alone. And uh, these songs point out uh, the divinity of Jesus and also the humanity of Jesus. And the beauty of the God-man in his life and his sacrifice for us. And so, a couple phrases from Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Uh, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. So, the idea of a sovereign dying, God dying, is just like, how is that possible? It's because he took on our flesh to die for us. And then, in stanza three, Well, might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in, when Christ, the mighty maker, died for man, his creature's sin. And so again, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, the mighty maker, dying for man, his creature, uh, and their sin. And so just again of, wow, God dying is is crazy. And then the last two standards show uh, a response to what we could, how we could respond to the glorious news that Jesus took on our flesh and died in our place. Uh, It says, dissolve my heart in thankfulness is in stanza four and then in stanza five. But drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. And so it's no wonder to us that in the New Testament, we're called to give up our lives because Jesus gave up his life for us. Um, It's just, it's the only thing that makes sense in response to Jesus taking on flesh and dying for our sins on the cross. And then in Christ alone, I'll just read some from uh, stanza two here. It says, In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. And again, it's, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus taking on flesh. He's the fullness of God, this little baby. And he goes and, and dies on the cross for our sins. And we're able to live because he died. And our life is in his death. And now we, we're able to live with him because God raised him from the dead. So, does anybody have any questions on any of this? You were close. It was pretty close. Not too bad. All right, I'm going to pray shortly, and then uh, we can go ahead and split up into uh, prayer groups. And I'd encourage you just to, as you pray, to thank God for Jesus, that he was willing to be born as a man, take on our flesh, bear our sin on the cross, and pay for it in his death. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and that through his death we can live. And we just pray that as we have grown in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in order to help us and to save us, that we would lay down our lives for him and that we would give up our desires for what he desires for us and that we would worship him as the most special person of all. And we thank you that he was willing to to suffer in our place Uh, to bear our flesh, to take our sin, and to experience your wrath against it, and to be willing to be forsaken by you for our sins. And we thank you that we now can have eternal life through Jesus, and ask that you'd help us 
uh, to walk by faith in Jesus, the one who's walked this path before. Help us to be faithful and to depend on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.